Recorded live. So you take effort to do that, and in fact, that's what we find in this story, verse 18. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. So you get the picture, there was the, there were some, these people that had a friend that was paralyzed, so the, the friends grabbed their friend and carried him so they could take him to Jesus because they knew Jesus might be able to heal him. I want you to pay attention to the next part, verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, I want to pause there. If you could circle something for me, could you circle because of the crowd? And we'll just pause there just for a minute. Has anybody been around a crowd, especially during Christmas? Anybody went to Christmas Town? <laughs> we didn't go this year. But one of the reasons why we didn't go is not because we don't like Christmas Town, but because it's crowded. Have you seen that? I mean, like, you get to push gardens. And some people I asked them, I said, hey, how did that go for you this year? And they're like, we had to park in the overflow parking, right? Or some people said they didn't even have parking left. They packed the place so great. So kudos to Bush Gardens for a great plan and marketing plan. It's awesome. They got lots of people there. But they're like, it wasn't enjoyable. You want to know why? Not because there wasn't great stuff. You want to know why? Because it was crowded. you agree with that? I mean, crowds can mess everything up, right? I mean, when you have to wait in line or you want to get there, and, and, you, and you're going as if you want to go, hey, I came here to see – whatever it is, but I can't get to it. Why? Because it's so crowded. This is what happened to them. They, they came to see Jesus. And now there's an obstacle. There's an obstacle in the way. Let me ask you a question today. What do you do in your life today? Is your life crowded? You know what I mean? Is there things in your life that keep you from where you want to go or from where you think God wants you to be? And how does that make you feel when you get to a place where you go, hey, this is the dream. This is what I believe God wants me to do, but there's something in the way. What do you do? Do you, do you stop? Do you quit? Do you go, it would have been nice to be able to get to Jesus, but there's no possible way because there's so many people. My friend's not going to get healed. Do you get discouraged? I do. I mean, I know. Fear? Anger? Anybody do that? Anger that doesn't make you keep going, but anger that makes you mad and resentful and bitter. Anybody feel that? Well, let me ask you, how's your joy level? Anything you're angry about today? Anything you're going, God, I can't believe that you have me here. God, I can't believe. I thought life was going to turn out like this, but there's an obstacle in the way, and, and I didn't get to have the life that I thought I would because of my crowded life. It's very difficult. I want you to see what they did, though. When they could not find a way because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles. Hmm. That's interesting to me. So, so just to make sure you get the visual image of this, these guys got there. There was a crowd in the way of them. There was no possible way they were going to get this guy to Jesus in normal way. But what they did... <laughs> was, and it sounds like a lot of my friends, some of them that, I, that are in here, this is what they would do. There's no way you're going to miss Jesus today. And so they went up on the house. Jesus was in a house, and a huge group had gathered. And they went up on top of this guy's house, somehow hoisted this guy up on top of the roof. <laughs> but you're thinking, what if you were that guy? What would that feel like, right? I mean, here's these people. You're already paralyzed, and you're like, now you're just going to kill me, right? I mean, you're, you're hoisting me up on the roof. Is this the best plan? Can I tell you, this wasn't the best 
plan. It was a plan, but it's not the best plan. <laughs> and right in the middle of Jesus' teaching, okay, they rip open the ceiling, so whoever's house that was probably wasn't so thrilled with their idea, and they, and they lower this guy. <laughs> what has that got to do with us? If you've got a crowded life, here's, here's what I think it has to do with. How do you get your passion back, number one? Do something drastic. You see, there's a lot of people that are waiting for it to happen, or they're, they're coming across life, and life gets difficult, and they're going, it's hard, and they quit right there. In the last 30 days, and here's what it's got to do with one month to live. In the last 30 days of somebody's life, you know what they do? A lot of times they do something drastic. Did you know that? This is what I believe. And, and, and it's in those times that they do the most important thing. So let me ask you a question. I've got a couple questions I wrote down because of this. If you knew you only had one month to live, what would your life be like? Be much more focused with you, you would You would do this. What, let me ask you a question. What would you do? What would you do with the time you had left? If you went, hey, I know this is it. This is all the time I have. I have 30 days to get my, my life straight, or I get 30 days to get around to what's important. What would you do? Here's another question. What would you not do? Because sometimes it's important what you don't do is what you do do. You've got to be careful saying that. Don't you? <laughs> we just said that in church. <laughs> but the things you don't do, you know, the things that are not important anymore in 30 days, you go, hey, I'm going to get around to what's important. And you know what I find? And I see this as a pastor because I get to be beside a lot of people as they're passing away. And here's what I find. Their relationships are the most important thing. I remember when 9-11 happened, there were several reports of people that as they knew they were going to die in the building or they knew they were going to die in the plane. You know what they did? They picked up their phone and they called their loved one. Right? That's what they did. With the last minutes that they had, they knew this was it, and they picked up the phone to call somebody to do what? To give them their list of things to do at work. They didn't care anymore, right? That was out the door. They didn't care about that anymore. They didn't care. About, there was lots of things they didn't care about. And I remember one guy, he, he called on the phone, and the operator was like, I can't get through. And he's like, get them on the phone right now. Drastic. Urgent. I'm going to get around to what's important. And he gets them on the phone, and you know what he says? I love you. That's it. I don't really have much else to say. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure you knew I love you. Let me ask you a question. Why do we have to wait for that? And I say, you don't know how long you have, right? But here's what you do know. Everybody dies. <laughs> Can I tell you? Everybody dies. And nobody likes to hear that, right? Every time I say the death rate's one per person, you all make it. <laughs> it's not very popular. People go, man, you're just morbid. You just like death. And I go, no, I don't. Because here's what I know. Everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. Some people don't get to make that phone call. You see, some people say, if I knew the last time was the last time. Some of you guys are doing that day, right? Because you know you've lost some people. And you're focused on that. That's not where we really want to go. Where we really want to go is this. In your life right now, what's important, if you want to do it, there's going to be obstacles. And you know what you've got to do? You've got to do something drastic. Dave Ramsey says, hey, you want to get out of debt? You know what you've got to do? Something drastic. You've got to get out there and do stuff that nobody else is doing, things that everybody else would say, you can't rip the roof off this place. Well, I just did, right? Why? Because you're not going to keep us from this. And God is saying, hey, are these obstacles keeping you from it? Or are you willing to do something extreme 
to make this happen. So number one, you've got to do something drastic. What is God calling you to do? What's been in your way? And what is it you're saying, well, I'll just sit back and maybe it'll happen. It won't. What have you got to do? do? Do something drastic. Number 19, verse 19 continues to say this. After they, after they ripped off the crew, and they lowered him into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. You know what I think that means? Right in front of Jesus, right in the middle of the crowd. That's an interruption, is it? I tell you something about living life correctly, a lot of times it's interruptive. And, and, and I want you to pay attention to what Jesus does because he's not upset by the interruption. How many of you were upset if you interrupted? If somebody ripped off the roof today and they lowered somebody in front of me, I would be a little bit irritated right now. You know, I've got things to say. Jesus is teaching, but he pauses and he goes, hey, this is important. And here's what they know. They're going, hey, it isn't just going to happen. You know what you got to do? Number one, you got to do something drastic. Number two, got to create God's space in your life. Yeah, can I tell you that doesn't just happen? Can I tell you you're not, you someday it's going to come? No, it isn't. That, that right in the middle, because here I, I know because it's the same for me, and that is life. You know, you know why I don't have enough God space is because my life is busy doing really important things. You know what I mean? And God is saying, are you going to make the space or you're not? Are you going to carve out the time? Are you going to carve out the space? Because here's what I know, and here's what a lot of people are going to say. I'll get around to it when I'm less busy. When I get through this, then it will finally happen. Can I help us with something today? Your life will never be less busy than it is right now. And the day that it's less busy is a really bad day. It really will, right? When your life hits that level where it does slow down, trust me, that will be a bad day. And you've never carved out the most important piece of life, which is hearing from God. These guys made it. They, they carved out a God space. Create a God space for yourself in your life. Maybe this year you're going, hey, you know what I need to do? I need to get into the Word of God. What do they look? There's a great Bible app. If you type in Bible app, they've already downloaded, I think it's 200 million people have downloaded the Bible app. It's absolutely awesome. And what I would say is this, is there's great devotionals in there, but you know what? It doesn't do itself. Even though it's so convenient, it doesn't do itself. Create a God space for yourself right in the middle of your crowded life. Because it ain't going to just happen, trust me. It isn't going to be less difficult. That's the other thing I see. There's no time like now because it will never be less than what it is right now. Circumstances will never do any better than it is right now. So create a God space, but not just for you. You know who they created a God space for? Their friend. And I want to challenge us with that. If we're followers of Christ to know, you've got to create a God space for the people in your life. Let me tell you something. It's not convenient. It's not going to be easy. You see, you're going to get there, and it's crowded. See, life is crowded. Life is busy. There's all kinds of things pulling for you. And what, what I think the moral of the story is, is Jesus is saying, you've got to get them in front of me, and that's not going to be easy. You know, you've got to hoist them up on the roof. That's not the best plan. No, it isn't. But it's a plan, right? And it works. And God will fill in the gap of what you're capable of and what you need to happen. And he goes, hey, if it, if it means we have to pull off the roof, let me ask you a question. Who would you pull the roof off for? Verse 20 goes on to say this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. I want you to pay attention to the sequence here. 
because this is the only place that I've seen it done this way. In every other place in the Bible, it usually says, your faith has made you. Right? Your faith. What he says is this. They lay the man down in front of him, and he looks up to them, and he says, their faith, you're forgiven. Isn't that interesting? Now, Jesus can't save somebody that's heart's not right. But see, Jesus looks at the heart. And he knew what this guy's need is. Now, when they came, how many people think they brought him there for healing? Correct. Wait a minute, wait, Jesus, we don't need you to forgive sins. We need you to heal his legs. I'd like to give you number three. Number one, do something drastic. Number two, number two, create a God space. Number three, expect the unexpected. When I say the unexpected, God is unexpected. Did you know that? God is unexpected. This isn't exactly what we thought Jesus was going to say. What we wanted you to say was, get up and walk. We're going to get to that in a minute. Most people know the story, so I'm not giving anything away. He's going to do that, but he does something more important first. He goes, you brought him here today, and what I really want to do for you is what you ultimately need. You see, I can heal your legs, but that's not what you really need. You know what you need me to do? You need me to forgive your sins. And he looks at the man, and the man doesn't say anything. He really messes up our whole salvation the way we see the sequence go. Because the man hadn't said anything. And he forgives the man's sins right there. Your sins are forgiven. Meaning, you see, your greatest need isn't what your circumstances are in your life. This is very important. This is a very important way of sequence. He could have healed the man first then forgave his sins, but he didn't because he was saying, before I heal you, that's the minor part of this. Whether I heal your legs or not, the most important thing that's going to happen here today is a restored relationship with God. And it happened because you guys believed. See, God laid it on your heart to bring him here, and now you're here, and I know your heart, and now your friend is restored to God. There is nothing better about this story than that. Nothing. Expect the unexpected. See, here's the thing. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what's sucking the passion out of your life, but here's what I know. Expect the unexpected. Here's what you're going to expect. You want to know what to expect? With God, expect a miracle. You know you can do that? You got a crisis? You're in line for a miracle. No crisis, no miracle. God doesn't do a miracle without a crisis. So if you're here today and you're going, I'm in crisis, yeah, because God wants to do something incredible. What's he going to do? I don't know. You do something amazing. How do you get your passion back? Expect that God, these guys, these guys believed that God was going to do something incredible. They believed that if we can just get him in front of Jesus, he's going to change this guy's life. And Jesus did what they didn't expect, which was he said, I'm going to do something better than healing. I'm going to forgive your sin. He goes on to say this, verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now I want you to pay attention because I have taught this wrong in the past, thinking that the Pharisees said this. They didn't. They thought this. I tell you, there's always going to be people in your life that, that great things might happen for you. Jesus just forgave this guy's sins, and there's always somebody that can pick out the worst things. Is that true? When your life goes good, there's people that want your life to go bad. Is that true? 
that there's people that put spoilers on the best circumstances, that even when Jesus does the most incredible thing, even when they knew that Jesus had fulfilled all the, the things, these people came against them, critical-spirited people. You got anybody like that in your life? And I think he shares this because he didn't have to because these were thoughts that were going on in their head. But you know the people, right? Maybe you experienced them at Christmas, <laughs> where they don't have to say anything, but they can just look at you and you know what they're thinking, right? Like, they're just critical. They, they hate me, or they, they're jealous, or they're whatever. But the point is, is that they're just miserable, right? And they want to spread their misery to you. That, that it's one of those things where, yeah, that's nice, but kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you got those kind of people that suck the joy out of your life. And, and here's what I want to tell you. Don't let them do that. When God is about to do the greatest work in your life, don't let people suck the joy out of your life. Don't let people take from you what God, don't let circumstances take from you for what God wants you to have. And I know this might be a side note, but as I looked at this verse, it's something that, that has convicted me, and, it's, and it's, God is working in my life on this one. And that's this. Not only don't let them, they can't. They're not the ones that steal your joy. Now, I, know, I know this is hard for people. It's hard for me. People and circumstances don't rob you of your joy. You do. I don't, I don't really like that. But do you know why it's so worthwhile saying not to be offensive? It's so worthwhile saying because the day that you grasp it is the day you'll be free. Jesus got it. But the day you grasp that people and circumstances cannot rob you of your joy is the day you'll truly be free. There's a reason why Jesus didn't heal this guy first. Because he's going, your joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. Your joy has nothing to do with those critical people out there that are robbing the joy out of your life. Your, your joy has nothing to do with the politics that are happening in this country. Your joy has nothing to do with whatever circumstances or whoever you've lost or whatever you've lost in this life has nothing to do with your joy. You know when I learned that? When I met people that had worse circumstances than me. When I was going through a difficult time and I was miserable, and yet I saw people that were in worse circumstances than me, but had more joy than me. How's that possible? How can people in worse circumstances have more joy? How can people in better circumstances, this is a better question. You know, I know people that have much better circumstances than me, people that have much more money than me, and they're more miserable. You understand what I'm saying now? People and circumstances cannot rob you of your joy. They have nothing to do with it. And Jesus gets it. Don't let them do that to you. You want your passion back. You've got to understand one thing. People and circumstances can't do it. So whatever you think is keeping you from your joy, it's not. It's a relationship with Christ that will restore it for you. And the day you get that, the day you can truly be free. No matter what your circumstances, you know what? Today is a good day to be happy. Today is a good day to choose to be happy. Today is a great day to choose to have the joy that God gives, because if you can't, let me tell you something, you'll never have it. Because God never said that this world wouldn't have trouble, did he? In fact, he said the opposite. You look it up in John chapter 6, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And then he explained what the trouble was, and you're like, wow, who could have joy in those kind of circumstances? But then he says what? But take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, when I say this, you may, you see, it's 
the incredible part for everybody else at the end of this story, but if you missed the beginning, then you've missed the true act of God. He goes, he does the most incredible thing at the beginning. He says, your sins are forgiven. Because he knows that any healing in this life is temporary. Correct? Can I say something? That guy's healing was temporary that day. Jesus is about to heal his leg. Can I say it's temporary? You know how I know that? Because he's dead today. He ain't walking around, is he? Right? Does that, does that fit? You know what it is? It's an earnest deposit of what is to come. Any healing in this life is an earnest deposit. But what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I've got eternity down pat, and I want to give you the greatest gift that there is, a relationship with God himself. It isn't bad circumstances. It's that I'm with you. It's that I heal you. It's that I forgive you. And the day you understand that is the day you can rise up over any circumstance. That's the day you can understand. No matter what happens, as long as things are good, you don't have to be afraid of any circumstance. Because God will cause you to rise above them. Number three, expect the unexpected obey. Here's what he does to them. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking. <laughs> How would you feel if I said that? I know what you're thinking today. You're going to just wrap this up. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm wrapping it up. <laughs> Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? You think it's not about passion. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart? I mean, that's first, right? He started with the heart. Why is that? Because he knows. That's the most important part. You know what you're going to do? You're going to do what you're passionate about. You know what this church will do? What it's passionate about. He understands that passion will trump thought every single time. You'll only go so far without your heart. And that's why he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Then all your soul and all your mind. So they'll follow. They'll follow your passion. And he's going, in your heart. They're going, wait a minute, in our mind, that's what we thought. No, no, in your heart, this is how you think of me. You're so critical. Can I tell you, I found the enemy in my life, and it isn't other people, it's me. And he's looking at them, and he's going, but we just thought that, Jesus. And he goes, yeah, that's the problem. It's in your thought. It's in your heart. That's what's driving the Pharisees. You see, too many times have we taught that Jesus hates the Pharisees. He does not. This whole lesson was for them because he loves them, and he's going, there's something wrong inside of you. If you do not have joy today, there's something wrong inside of you. And Jesus is looking at it, and he's pinpointing it, and he's saying, there's something wrong with your thought. Yeah, but I'm acting right. Yeah, I got you. But one day, your heart's going to catch up with your behavior, and that's going to be a really bad day for you. He cares about the heart, and he's going, I want you. I want you to come. And then he does something incredible, and if you miss it, and, and he asks him, he says, let me ask you a question, which one is easier? See, he's the one that brings this up, not me. I'm just exegeting. I'm just telling you what the Scripture actually says, verse 23. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Now, I know what you thought. If he could walk, he'd be so much better in his life. If he could walk, everything would be better. But let me ask you a question. You ever got what you wanted, and then you finally got it, and then you're still not happy? I ate the whole buffet and I still not have it. <laughs> it makes me more miserable. We buy things 
right? And, and they don't they don't fill the gap in our life. And he's saying, which one can I do? If I gave you a million dollars, you think that would fix your problem? Oh, yeah, that would fix me. If I could pay this off, that would fix me. If I could have that relationship back, that would fix me. If I could have whatever, it would fix me. And he's going, no, it won't. The relationship with me will fix it. What did you say, verse 24? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. So, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. I want you to follow that sequence. I didn't underline all of it, but do that if you circle it. Get up, take your mat, and go home. There's the sequence. (laughs) That's weird, but anyway. There is a part of this, though, that I want to make sure you pick up on, okay? And how to get your passion back, how to keep your passion in your life. You want to know how you keep it? Take your mat. Why did he say that? You ever thought about that? You know, all the healings that I've seen, like, and some of them are not real, probably, I don't know. I do believe God can heal. But some of them I hadn't seen, you know, they say, throw that thing down. Burn it up. You know what Jesus said? Take up your mat and take it home with you. For what? As a reminder. Please don't. Take your mat with you. Why? Because you're going to need it? No. Because I want you to always remember what happened here today. Take your mat. Number four, keep a constant reminder. Don't ever forget what God has done. Maybe it's some memento. Maybe it's something that reminds you. I see it all the time here, and, and, it, and it does something to me when I walk in this place. For me, it's the people. A constant reminder of what God has done. When I, when I walk in this place, there's a reason why it's so good to come together. Because sometimes I'm discouraged. You know, sometimes, sometimes I don't want to come here on Sunday morning. Like this morning. I was tired, right? Anybody... And I and I didn't sleep well last night for whatever reason, and so it's like I don't think I wanted to get up this morning. You know what I mean? But then I get here, and, and I start talking to people, and I look at the people, and I won't say their names because it's not important. But it's you guys, and I go, I know what your life was like when you didn't know him. I, I know what it's like when you walked through the door, and your life was a complete wreck. And now you met Jesus, and your life is changing. Not necessarily just circumstances, but the joy in life of doing life together here is absolutely amazing. And I see it. And I talk. And, and, I, and by the time I'm done with that, I'm going, it encourages me and inspires me and says, you know what, I, could, I might be able to have a life. Maybe I could really live. Maybe I could. But I don't always feel like I live. I'm like the Pharisees. I, I relate more to the Pharisees than anybody else in the Bible. I was real honest. I feel more like them. I feel more critical than anybody else. But it's something about that reminder that changes everything, and it lights a fire back and says, you know what, life could be different. Life could be different. <laughs> you know, take up your mat and go home. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 25, here's what happens. Immediately, you want to circle that? Immediately. He stood up in front of them, took what he had, was lying on, and went home praising God. <laughs> what did he do? Everything Jesus told him to do, <laughs> including getting up. Now, how many people think he got up because he was so strong, right? No, he got up. How do you think that felt for the first time walking on his legs and they don't hurt? For the first time having a miracle, right? They kept that mat. I have a feeling he probably mounted that thing. You know what I mean? Jesus did this. I was a cripple, and now I'm not. 
I couldn't walk. What could he do now, right? You think every day he didn't think about that? But you know, sometimes we forget, don't we? The other part I want you to see is this. When did he do it? Well, Jesus, let me think about it for a while. Jesus, I just need to sit on this mat for a little while longer than I'll think about getting up. You heal the legs, I'm just going to lay here. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Some people are doing that. And you know what Jesus wants you to do? He wants you to do it now. You see, if you had 30 days left to live, you'd do it now, right? He's going, well, what makes you think you've got more time than that? Get up. I tell you what he's telling some people today. Get up. Take up your mat and go home. <laughs> okay. Somebody might have needed that. I don't know. Probably me. Verse 26. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. This is what happens when Jesus does these things. He never wastes a miracle. He never does them just to be cool. He does them on purpose, with a purpose, not just for you. And the miracle wasn't just for this guy. Remember what he said? So that you might know, so that you might believe, I won't just forgive your sins, which is the greatest thing I did. You know why he said that? You ever thought about that? You know why this forgiving of sins was so big deal? Because I paid for that. I'm about to go to the cross, and I know what it's going to cost me to pay for that. So your temporary healing isn't as big of a deal to God who created all things. But me getting up on a cross to forgive your sins is. So yeah, I can do this right now, and you can see it for today, but me forgiving your sins is something that's going to cost me everything. I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to show you the passion of God. What happens? Everyone is amazed. Of course they are. We have seen a remarkable thing today. Some of us have seen it. So here's what I want to do. I just want you to ask yourself a question today. As we wrap up today, here's the question I want you to ask. Who do we need to tear the roof off for? And maybe the first person I want to talk about is you. Maybe we need to tear the roof off for you. Maybe you never had anybody care about you. I don't know. Maybe you never had anybody care enough to put you on top of a roof. And you're like, what are they doing? <laughs> right? You got friends like that that would do something like that for you? But let me explain it to you because maybe you don't get this whole thing. Maybe you don't understand why you're here today. Maybe I'm not even the best person to deliver. Maybe I'm not even doing very good at this. But let me tell you what I'm doing. You know why I'm here? You know why New Branch Community Church exists? <laughs> this is such a great vision statement. To rip the roof off of you. You know why? To lower you right in front of Jesus. Who needs that today? Who's going, I'm paralyzed. I, you know, life has beat me up. Maybe you can actually physically walk, but it's as if life has beat you down and you can't walk anymore. You know why we're here? You know why you're here today? Because somebody brought you here to lower you down right in front of Jesus. You know what he can do? Give you. Oh, he can heal you. <laughs> but that's not the cool part, see? He can temporarily do awesome things in your life, and I believe that with all my heart. I've seen God heal people, and I believe it with all my heart. There's no doubt in my mind. But that's not the greatest thing that he does. You know what he does? He heals your heart. You know what he does? He restores your life. You know what he does? He takes somebody that's so guilty 
ask the person next to you. There's some people in this room that know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what he does? He takes the person that's so guilty, and he says, I forgive. He said, how could he do that? I paid for that on the cross. I thought about you. I paid for that on the cross for you, and I have the authority to forgive sins because I paid for that. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's I need to forgive. You know what he can do? You know what he did for me? He helped me forgive. He helped me forgive things that I thought were unforgivable. But yet, he helps me do that. Not just once, every day. Every day, let that go. Every day, take up your mask. You know what I mean? Give it to God. You ready to do that? Get up. You know, the hurt and the pain that's keeping you from having a life. You don't understand my circumstances. No, I don't, but God does. And he knows exactly where you are. You know what I think he's saying today? That's what he's saying to you today. And I know how hurtful that is because I used to do that in church all the time, and I walk out so mad when a pastor would say that. And now I'm that pastor. (laughs) And I can't believe I'm about to say what I'm about to say. But for somebody, they need this desperately. Your circumstances aren't keeping you on that mat. People are not keeping you on that mat. Jesus is saying, get up. He loves you. I forgive you. Now get up. Get up and take up your life. Give it to me. I know it hurts. I got you. I know it's not what you thought. Life is never going to be what you thought, right? Anybody live long enough to understand that? If you haven't, stick around. It will throw some curves at you you can't even imagine. It isn't about trying to figure it out. It isn't about looking at the Word of God and going, now God has given me the ultimate plan. It isn't. It's not a strategic plan, is it? Following Christ is never that. Because he does all kinds of things that have nothing to do with strategy. And you've got all kinds of people that are hoisting you up on roofs, and you're like, who are these people, and what are these nuts doing, right? And they're getting you, right? And maybe that's what happened today. And you're like, this is the weirdest church I've ever been to. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right. It's the best plan we had. It's the best plan we had to get you in front of Jesus. That's all we got, okay? But we've done the best we can, and we're going to do the best we can to get you right in front of him so that he can heal you, so that he can forgive you. Oh, take up your mat. What are you waiting for? Today is a great day. You know what today is a great day for? For you finally to have the joy that God wants for you. And not one person and not one circumstance and nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's what the Word of God says. And maybe somebody needed to hear that today. All right, there's one final person. If you need prayer today, we'll be here after the service. Can I tell you something else? We can't do this by ourselves. That's what I know from this. You know you know whose faith helped this man be forgiven? I didn't say this. I know it sounds like blasphemy coming from my lips. Almost. You know whose faith did it? Their faith, you're forgiven. So let me ask you, who do we need to rip the roof off? Our faith, they're forgiven. Who is it that we need to get down on our knees and pray to God? Who is it that we need to make this church into the greatest invite this community has ever seen? And if we did, what do you think God would do? Can I tell you what he did? Can I tell you what he would do? He'd do just what he did here. Their faith. 
You want to be part of that? So here's what we do, one tangible thing as we start this new year. I don't know how to do it. So you know who we have to go to? God. I'm going to ask you to do something with us. Would you pray with us? I mean, really, really pray with us? We're starting a time, we've already started it on January 1st. 21 days of fasting and prayer. If you haven't started with us, that's fine. Just start. If you don't know what it means, we have literature on that. Just let us know right on your connection card. We'll send it to you. Or we can get it, we can print it for you here, or whatever you need. And it explains what it means to fast. It means you give up a meal, you give up something to be close to God. That's all it means. That's the spirit of it. And as we do that, what do you think God might do? What would a God do with a place that says, you know what, I'm not close to you, so I need to fast and pray. But you know what, now that I have, or maybe I'm a follower of Jesus, I know some people that desperately need God. And you know what, there's no way they could ever receive God. Do you know anybody like that? You know anybody, you're going, I've pretty much given up on them. They pretty much can't never come. They'll never come through the doors of the church, or they've come so many times, they'll never come back. Anybody thinking up like that? i got some people like that. I've given up on them. But you know what Jesus is saying? Would you rip the roof off? Would you hoist them up on the roof? Would you not let the crowd stop you to get to that person? Who is it you need to call? But before you call them, would you pray with me? For the next 21 days, would you fast and pray that God will do that? And let me ask you a question. What do you think God would do with a church that fasted and prayed? Read the story again. I think what he would do is this. They're forgiven. Somebody did that for us. We can do it for them. We get to be part of doing it. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, this story is amazing. I did the best job I could talking about it. Lord, there's so much more there. And I pray, Lord, you speak to the heart. Lord, you bring out what you need to in the people here today. Sometimes we feel so stupid because the best plan we can come up with is ripping off the roof. (laughs) Our plans are so stupid. But our God is so great. And I think there's somebody here today, Lord, that maybe this church, that the best we can do is rip the roof off, and maybe we got them in front of you today. And maybe somebody needed that today to be able to go, you know what, my circumstances are so bad. My, my heart is so hurt. Maybe they got the best mass. Maybe they've been here from day one, but they've never really been part because there's something holding them back from God. And I pray today, God, we get them in front of you, and today is the day that they can get up and walk. But more than that, their sins are forgiven. Their relationship is restored with God. Oh, I pray for that today. I pray for the one that thinks that can't happen for me. But they know right now that you're convicting them and you're going, maybe that joy could finally enter your life. I pray for all the joy suckers that are in our life, Lord. The truth is, if we're real honest, the mirror, we look in the mirror, it's us. We don't want to admit we're like the Pharisees, but we are. Because our thought is, yeah, I know that's good for back then, but I don't really believe God can do this. And it's as if Jesus is saying, wait a minute, I can do this, and let me show you what I'm capable of doing. But no miracle is going to replace me believing in Christ. So I pray today for our faith. God, I pray today for our church. As we enter into this time of fasting and prayer that doesn't become about elevating ourselves or look what we did or all this nonsense, but just about being close to God and for the first time hearing your voice. Hearing your voice again for some of us. that We've heard your voice, but we've gotten a crowded life and we don't hear your voice, and I pray that we will. 
I pray, God, that this church will be a place where we rip off the roof and we help some people get right in front of Jesus. You make us that kind of church, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Guys, if you need prayer today, we'll be here after the service for everybody else. God bless you. Happy New Year. When I was on G, he was on G. Oh, I missed one note.